2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Praise God. You know, different pieces of this scripture I've read you have been an encouragement to me at different times. Uh, There's a lot going on here. So let's look at uh, the first part. In... uh, Verse 6, he says, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Well, we all know that many people have likened this to a fire, that you have to stir up a fire to keep it going. But I want you to look really at what Paul's telling Timothy here. He says, I want you to remember... What God's called you to do. And I want you to remember the gifts He gave you to do it. And what does He go on to say? He said He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives you power and love and a sound mind. You know, sometimes we we think about what God's called us to do or a purpose that God's put in our life. And like I said earlier, at first it's it's a privilege, it's a joyous thing. But after a time, it becomes routine. becomes even sometimes a drudgery to have to do it. But we've got to stir up that gift that was in us and remember that God called us. He chose us. The Word tells us that He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And what a privilege it is to serve our King, the King of kings, in that capacity. So stir up that thing within you. It's not just about, about building a fire and keeping a fire going, but it's about reminding yourself not only that you have this gift, you have this ability that God gave you, but that you also have a holy calling, a high calling. This isn't just for preachers. Y'all listen now. Verse 7, he tells him to, that he didn't give him, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Well, what is there to be afraid of? You know, when, when Paul addresses these little issues, you need to pay attention. Because there is a reason why he's mentioning it. He's not just talking off the cuff here. 
What was there to be afraid of? Persecution, most definitely. Persecution was the big thing he's telling him. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God doesn't call you to a a calling and then give you a reason to be afraid, right? Is what he's saying. There is no reason to fear, but God has called you to a purpose. And this particular instance, he's talking to Timothy, who was a preacher. But don't let that, don't cut that short and say that doesn't apply to me. Okay? So God didn't give you a spirit of fear. But we see persecution today. You better believe there's persecution today. Maybe not the same kind that, that Paul and Timothy was dealing with. Not in this country anyway. There's plenty of it around the world. But there's still persecution. And there's still that spirit of fear that God didn't give us. So what is there to be afraid of today? Well, that same persecution, but it's in a different form. We don't want to look crazy. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to stir up no trouble. What does that boil down to? You're afraid. Right? Not only are you afraid of how somebody else is going to feel or what somebody else is going to think, but you're afraid that you're going to be thought of as a fool because your inadequacies are going to show. Right? I'm not pointing it out on y'all now. That's human nature. Human nature says, unless you're one of these overconfident egotistical, narcissistic-minded kind of people that think, I know everything and there's nothing you can teach me, right? Normal people have a natural tendency to say, I don't want to say anything because they may see that I'm not as smart as, as they might think I am or that they may see that I don't have all the answers, the devil uses that. See, that's not what God gave us. God gave us power, love, and a sound mind. Now, does that mean that you don't ever have to study? Does that mean that you don't have to devote yourself to uh, not only studying the Word of God, but planting it in your heart and de- developing a deeper relationship? That's not what it means. But that spirit of fear that you have from time to time didn't come from God. In fact, just the opposite came from God. He gave you that gift that Paul's talking about. Stir that gift up in remembrance against that spirit of fear. Remember that when God calls you or appoints you or puts a purpose in your heart to do something, He's going to supply what is needed, not only materialistically, but spiritually and mentally for you to accomplish what needs to be done. So that spirit of fear ought to be called a lie. Because the thing that's needed to accomplish it is going to be supplied. No reason to fear. In verse 8, he encourages him to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. 
Now think about that. The afflictions of the gospel. What is that? goes back to that persecution, doesn't it? The effects of persecution. The, the things that people are going to do to you. He encourages him, what, to avoid it? No. Be a partaker in it. This, this ought to remind you of another scripture. I'll just read it to you. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation. Be a partaker in the afflictions of the gospel. What does that mean? It means, listen, if you are actually trying to serve God, you really want to serve Him, you want to want to do what He's called you to do, you can't do that having a spirit of fear ducking and hiding, trying to avoid that persecution. You can't do it. You can't be ashamed of His testimony. You can't be ashamed of your testimony. You've got to be a partaker in the afflictions of the Gospel. You've got to accept what's going to come at you because, listen, it's going to come. When you step out and you stand up for the name of Jesus, somebody's not going to like it. There will be afflictions. There will be persecutions. And if you... See, I want you to understand something real clear. If you're serving God and there isn't any afflictions, you better check what you're doing. Because see, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. See, the Word tells us that when you stand up, and this is in Kevin's terms, I'm not trying to quote a Scripture to you, but it it tells us that when you stand up for the name of Jesus, that, that that is an offense to the world. They're in direct contradiction to each other. Everything that the character of Jesus is, is the opposite of what the world is. So those two can't coexist. They can't uh, somehow form a, a peace treaty and get along. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. That's why they hated Jesus. They hated Him because of that, because of what He stood for. You know, very few times did Jesus say anything that sounded uh, kind of mean. Yeah, He called them a den of vipers and, you know, things like that. But it wasn't just what He said, it was what He stood for. What He claimed to be, and the fact that He actually could back it up, and they didn't like it. So, what does this, Bible, this Word say? Verse 8 says, Be not there, thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now listen, it also says, Nor of me his prisoner. The testimony of our Lord is not your testimony, okay? Understand that. The testimony of Jesus Christ is what? 
It's His life. It's the Gospel. What He did on this earth, what He did on the cross, what He did when He conquered the grave and, and, and rose again. His testimony, okay? It says, be not ashamed of His testimony. And then He says, nor of me His prisoner. He's talk, see, this is, we have to keep this in context. Paul is talking to Timothy. This is a one-on-one conversation, okay? He's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Now, how does that relate to us today? How does that, how can we tie that in with, with our, our thinking and, and use that principle, not the exact, uh, thought he was trying to convey, but the principle? He's saying, don't be ashamed of me, a fellow believer. Or even maybe uh, your mentor. See, where was Paul? Paul's in prison. He's, he's in prison. He's that prisoner. It'd be real easy for Timothy to say, well, I didn't have nothing to do with him, okay? I'm just over here doing my thing. And if y'all got a beef with Paul, y'all take it up with him that's not my problem. Right? Real easy to say that. How many times when you're a kid, you were standing there with your friends, and they was doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and then they got caught, and you were there, and you said, I didn't do nothing. I was just standing there. Right? That's what he's telling Timothy. Look, don't be ashamed of me. Why would he tell him that? Look, the guy's in prison. I want you to think about this stuff now, that these little details mean everything. Why would he stress that point to Timothy? See, what he's trying to do is tell him, look, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ or of me. Why? Because his testimony was a pure and just and true one. He was in prison for the wrong reasons. They imprisoned him because of the same reasons they did to Jesus what they did to him. Because they didn't like him. They didn't like what he stood for. It didn't have anything to do with him really committing any crimes. In fact, everybody that that talked to Paul and tried him said, I don't see any any fault in this man. Send him on to the next guy. So see, he wasn't just saying, don't be ashamed of me, the person. He's saying, don't be ashamed of your fellow Christian that is taking a stand. That is standing up for what is right and what is true. Now, I want you to apply that to your life today. How many times have you seen a fellow believer stand up in the middle of a, of a group of people and say, no, that's not right. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't do that. Whatever they're talking about is not right. Whatever. They took a stand. And you stood over there. Think about that now. See, if we weren't ashamed of them and their testimony, we would have come to their aid. We would have said, He's right. What you're doing is not right. 
maybe even offer up some additional scriptures that they can't think of at the moment. Offer some support. See, Paul's not just trying to encourage Timothy in his work. He's trying to remind him, look, when you're ashamed of me, you're borderline being ashamed of the gospel because I'm standing up for the right things. My motives are pure. So we've got to weigh those things. Now, does he tell him to just muster up some intestinal fortitude and make it through, figure out some way? What does he tell him? End of verse 8. He says, Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. According to the power of God. Not according to his own power. Not according to his own mental capacity. But according to the power of God. What that tells me is that I shouldn't expect to try to make it through trouble on my own. How do you find joy in trouble sometimes? Knowing you're not by yourself, right? I guarantee you if i got to do some kind of work that I'm not real comfortable doing, and i got to do it by myself, it's hard to find joy in it. But when somebody shows up that knows what they're doing and offers me a helping hand, oh man, we can have a good time then, right? I guarantee you if I had to go work on my car out there, first person I'd want is John. If I had to tackle it by myself, I would just be busting my knuckles and hating every minute of it. But I know when he showed up, I ain't got to worry about it because he knows what he's doing. I'm still going to help him. I'm still going to work. But having him there would be a comfort to me. We've got the same thing in God. We find ourselves in trouble sometimes having to, having to do some work. Maybe we're not 100% co- comfortable with our capabilities, but we can look at that and say, you know what? This isn't my thinking. I didn't come up with this task on my own. God sent me to it. God will give me the comfort I need to get through it because He's right there with me. Word tells you what about Him? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Joy and troublesome times. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Turn over there with me real quick. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven. <clears throat> Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, 
the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now y'all look at this. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, listen, God has revealed a whole lot of things to me. And if it weren't for Him giving me this thorn in the flesh, it'd be real easy for me to start thinking a little more myself than I ought to because of it. And God must think a lot of me to give me all this information. That's what he's saying. So talking about this thorn in the flesh, I want you to see that this ain't a physical thorn. He says, he tells you the thorn in the flesh, then he says, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. That's who he's really talking about. This is a spiritual battle going on. Okay? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. What? Does that sound like anybody you know? I don't know anybody that takes pleasure in infirmities. Y'all, my hand has been hurting me for a week and a half now. And I have not one time said, praise God my hand is hurting. Not one time. My wife is tired of hearing me whine about it. But Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Look what God told him in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee. How much grace does it take? All it takes is enough, right? You don't have to know how much. All you got to know is that God has enough grace for what you're going through. What does that mean? See, it's easy to read this stuff. It's a whole lot harder to understand it. What's grace? It's unmerited favor. His favor. What is favor? Giving you something you don't deserve just because He loves you. His favor, the things He's going to give you, is sufficient to cover whatever kind of need you have, to cover whatever kind of ailment you have. He didn't say you're going to be free of all these. In fact, what happened with Paul? Stuck with him. He prayed three times. Look, if Paul can't pray and get rid of the problems, this didn't say it's a health thing. I'm not trying to contradict the Word of God here. But he obviously had some problems. Doesn't tell us what it is. But Satan was troubling him. God said, no. I sent it to him. Does that sound right? Does God ever do that? 
God ever allow Satan to touch you? Yeah, he does. Look at Job. Satan went before God and said, if you'd take your favor away from him, if you take your protection away from him, I guarantee you I can make him curse you. What happened? God allowed it. So Jerry, it ain't always right for that thing to leave. Sometimes God put it there or God allowed it to be put there. Sometimes the things you're dealing with God has put there to either keep you humble, to keep you dependent on Him, or just to flat out keep you in check. Now think about this. If you went through your life and every little thing that came up just... Man, this is easy. What kind of spiritual depth would you have? You may start out strong. But you know where you're going to end up? You're going to end up depending on yourself. Because you don't need God. You don't need to stretch and, and, and have faith and believe that God's going to work and move, give you strength to overcome, because it just, it's easy, man. Right? So God will put those little troubles in our life sometimes. Or allow them to be put. I don't know if I like to say God puts them there. Because the Word tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from God. Right. God doesn't tempt us, so, but He allows it. He allows it. So don't think that that stuff, well, it ought to go away, right? No, not necessarily. That don't mean you shouldn't pray and ask for it to be removed. But listen, sometimes God puts that stuff there and expects you to just depend on Him. Depend on me to get through. That's why He says, my grace is sufficient because you found favor with me. We're His, we're His children. You may be going through a troubled time right now. But find joy in it. Find joy in knowing that God's right there with you. The one that's got all the answers. The one that knows how to fix whatever situation you're in. Just showed up. He said, hey man, let's get this thing done. Can you all identify with that? Can you identify with how you can find joy by knowing that God's there with you. See, it's, it's real easy to just kind of see this as cliche. But I want you to get a practical understanding of it. I want you to see that, like I was explaining about John helping me work on a car, well, it's the same thing with John Angerstein back there. If I need to build something, man, I don't have a clue how to build stuff. I'm not a carpenter, Okay. I can swing a hammer. There will probably be little marks all around the nail. But I can eventually get the nail in. I may have to pull it out and straighten it a time or two. But if I need to build something big, I ask John. And when he shows up, my worries are gone. I know he knows how to do it. 
The same thing. He, if he has a computer problem, he asks me, and man, just worries are gone because he knows I'll handle it. How much more is, is God capable? How much more when we find ourselves in a problem and we call on God and He shows up, how much more capable is He? See, that, that should be a stress reliever right there. When we call on God, see, and do you have to call on Him, okay? Call on Him. Say, God, I need you, man. I don't know what I'm doing. Y'all ever say that to God? Say, God, I don't know what I'm doing, man. Look, you, you want me to do this? That's fine. I'll do it, but you're going to have to help. Because I don't have a clue what I'm doing in this situation. He shows up. Sometimes it's not obvious, but He's there, man. You've got to look for Him. Be encouraged by the promises in His Word. If God be for us, who can be against us? And I promise you, He's for you. He is for you. And when you bring Him into a situation, you just have to know He's there. He is in control. He's going to have His way when you turn it over to Him. You don't have to feel Him come nudge your elbow next to you. You don't have to hear this audible voice saying, Here I am, my grace is sufficient. You don't have to hear that. He's already said it in His Word. If you know what His Word says, that's good enough. Because that's God's Word. When God gives you His Word, you can take it to the bank. So that's how you find joy in troubled times. Knowing that the King of the universe is on your side.